Okay, uh, welcome to Not A Game Podcast. Um, I am Kara Ellison, and with me we have Tom Hatfield. Hello. And we have Craig Lager. Hello. Yay! And we also have Jordan today. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, Jordan, you're kind of regular now. Do you feel at home? Yeah, I do. I'm just going to like sit back and relax and maybe fart, like, uh, maybe... <laughs> Amazing. I feel really complimented that you feel that comfortable, really. Mm. <laughs> um, I was going to ask everyone today, uh, what, uh, what are you looking forward to in 2014 in terms of games? Is there anything that you, you feel like quite particularly excited about? Uh, let's go with uh, Craig first. Oh, I needed some time because all I can do is moan about things. <laughs> what do you want to so, moan about, Craig? <laughs> well, I don't. Well, I want to moan about there not being anything in particular that I'm, like, excited about. I'm quite interested in Alien. Yeah. Um, that looks all right. But Creative Assembly are not at all proven and making things like that. And Sega don't have a particularly great track record at the moment. Um, that is true. Although I feel like in the past, Creative Assembly have made good games. Yeah. Um, but that was the past. <laughs> and like the last couple of Total Wars been quite weak and like and even then that's completely different from like a big immersive scary first person shooter. Not that shoot well, first person thing. It it would probably be fine, but I don't want to get excited about it because it's Sega at, in charge of it with money and um Colonial Marines was terrible. And there's not I, been a good Aliens game. I don't think you can really bring years. Colonial Marines into it because it, it's a completely different team. It's a completely different approach. Yep. It's uh, I, you know, it, it's a completely unknown quantity. It might be, it might be bad, but it'll probably be bad in a way that's completely unconnected. Well, to I can bring things. it in in the, in so far as the trend for Alien-related games is not good. It's true. So, but they're but, generally aliens-related games rather than alien. Related. Yeah, that's fair. So you know, it might be fine, and that's great. So, but we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I, I, um, I get that. But it seems um, like if it is good, it'll be your kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. But I mean, uh, with with Creative Assembly, they have you know different teams for different uh, games on each floor. So I feel like this is a completely unrelated team to whoever makes Total War anyway. So, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, I feel like that's actually... Yeah. But what else have Creative Assembly made in the last 10 years that isn't Total War? Uh, that is a very good point. Um, uh, point taken. Yeah. No, but I think you're right, you're right Kara. Like when, when a studio like expands into a completely new game series, it's usually that they've just founded a second team, which doesn't really have anything to do with the other one. And it, in a way, it would kind of be more valuable to know where those people used to work than where they are now. Um, yeah. So, like, my point is on this is... I don't want to sound like I think it's going to be bad because I don't, but I don't think. I mean, like Pete, you know, Kara, you've seen it, so you're at a massive advantage over me on this. But I, I don't think we should get overly excited about it yet because of all those reasons. Yeah, I understand that. Um, I, um, and I... also that other thing that we talked about last time we were both on a podcast looks better. Um, the indie thing would, would look scary. Oh, routine. Yes. Routine, yes. It, it, I actually feel like they have a very similar vibe, um, which actually heartens me towards the alien side as well, simply because I feel mm. like I, I feel like they both have very, very similar atmospheres and very similar goals. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like probably um, routine 
has an advantage in that they don't have Sega breathing down their necks um, about it. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's definitely yeah. advantage there in being um, indie and producing that kind of game. Um, yeah. Actually, I was going to say the, the thing I'm in a, in a broad sense, the thing I'm looking forward to in 2014 is seeing, like, uh, is seeing like larger companies play around with the like the last the ideas of the last two or three years of indie games. Which yeah, that would be interesting. Which is kind of what I feel Alien Isolation is in a way, is that we're looking at now an alien game made by people who feel like they've played Amnesia and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but, um, the, sorry, just to end, the things I am actually looking forward to, though, in 2014, are the games that are already released, but not properly. So I'm quite looking forward to like Maya being good and Neo Scavenger and Prison Architect and Project Zomboid and Xenonauts. Those should all be really, really good games, but they need probably at least another six months worth of work to be yeah. anywhere close to being really good. Exactly. And fucking Nidhogg. I'm so oh, yeah. Nidhogg. So I keep forgetting that's coming out because they announced it like it, they announced it like after what four five years of it, of it on, the only builds available being at like festivals and mm-hmm. drifting around uh on usb sticks held by various games journalists it's just like oh and it's coming out in two weeks it's true <laughs> um uh jordan what are you looking forward to in 2014 i don't know if it's really cool um considering it's the kind of thing most popular with like teenage girls but uh the new sims game is supposedly coming out this year i think in like october oh yeah or um, which I'm pretty excited about. What What makes you excited about the new Sims? Is it just because it's really, I don't know, it's a, a quite a compulsive game, isn't it? Yeah, so I've been playing all of them since like the first one came out, you know, back in 2000 or whatever. So um, it's kind of been a constant in my gaming life. Do you do that thing where you make out like all of your flatmates and all of the friends you know, and then like it's really uncomfortable when like they all start making out with each other in the wrong pairings, and you're like, wow, this is really, really kind of awkward. No, I made me and my boyfriend, and then we had kids, and I was like, oh, this is a bit strange. We've only been going out for like a few months. <laughs> Maybe I should just delete this and pretend this has never happened. Yeah, I tend to do that thing where I have like I get a new boyfriend and I just kind of st- when we go shopping I just stray into the maternity part of the clothing section and like, it totally freaks them out. Um, so I feel like that's kind of the Sims equivalent. Uh, I tried on some maternity jeans once, completely by accident, and they were so comfy. I was like, oh my god, I finally found a great pair of jeans, and then I realised that they were maternity, and then I felt really, really awkward. Yeah, I mean, but again, very good for scaring your boyfriend. So I feel like that would that would be the upside. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, I I quite enjoy The Sims simply because it it is pretty much just there there are lots of taboos that you can mess with like the you know the I wonder if they'll still have the facility for like deleting the ladder in the swimming pool sort of thing. Oh, probably it's become such a like a meme that they won't get rid of it. Yeah, I think they get that people enjoy messing with their Sims. Yeah, I haven't actually played The Sims since um since I was a teenager playing the first couple. Um, oh, it's improved. Well, I don't know. Some people would disagree with me. Sims is less popular than Sims 2. Me and my sister used to play about when it was mostly a house designing simulator. Um, but I was actually really interested in the Sims 3 stuff because I added all these personality things in there, which sounded really fascinating. And I picked it up in the big Origin sale, so I should actually give it a go. Yeah, you totally should. I guess it depends what kind of aspect of the game is your favourite because they say that there are like different categories of player. Mm. Like there are the ones who like to build the houses and then there are the ones who like to torment their Sims and 
the ones who like to make soap operas like my little sister does that she like <laughs> makes sims and then they get divorced and they have affairs and, uh... <laughs> i know that they uh they showed uh i can't remember um there's a particular uh ad that they showed where there's like a kind of space pack one and they're like thinking of doing like def- several different themes do the themes kind of appeal to you or do you think they're just like a mad money spinner it is definitely a mad money spinner but um it's gotten to the point now that I've been collecting the expansions for so long that I don't really feel like I can stop. Um, Do you have that Ikea one? I'm totally fascinated by that. <laughs> yeah, Are we talking about a legendary review of The Sims 2 Ikea stuff, I think it is, by Steve Hogarty? <laughs> oh, what is it about? I, I basically am in love with Steve Hogarty. <laughs> it's like, amazing. I might have that around here somewhere. Yeah. It's in a book that I've got around. Oh, yeah, the PC Gaming Reader. Wait, yeah. I turned that into an ebook once. <laughs> What the fuck? Are we having a dramatic reading, Craig? It's not about anything. You <laughs> might do. It depends how long it is. Yeah, uh, but I think there it is still online somewhere on Games Radar or something. So we'll find the link to it. But okay. it is basically just like a list oh, of quite all, long. all the things that are in there. And then just at the end. Is the, the end is, I should tell you exactly what it is. I've considered the benefits and cost of this pack and settled on a representative numerical value, 25%. And just everything else is just a list of things that are in it. <laughs> so I think that's Zone, isn't it? And they used to, yeah. They uh, they they used to have a real bugbear about Sims expansion packs because so they liked the original games, uh, but just the the constant parade of expansion packs that would always be top of the charts would just drive them crazy. Uh, John, yeah. did you buy the Katy Perry stuff pack? <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah, I totally did. Do you, do you feel bad about yourself still? Of course I feel bad. It has like ice cream bras and stuff in it. You're one of two people I know who own The Sims 3 Katy Perry Showtime Experience. I feel like that's The other being Chris Thurston. I, I genuinely feel like this really impressive, Jordan. I I actually feel like I want to come round your house and play it now. I, I absolutely refuse to buy it. <laughs> That's okay. That's how we screw them. Like everyone can just come to my house and borrow my version of the game. <laughs> I'll take yeah. one for the team. I'll buy them all. And uh... I totally, yeah, no, I totally get your love for The Sims because I feel like I or basically it's like compulsive. I for me, I was like compulsive playing until I just suddenly one day felt like I didn't want to start up again. And I understand why people still play it, but it, I just kind of got distracted. And like then, you know, the kind of, I don't know, I guess the uh, dopamine get, comes from somewhere else after that. But yeah, like I was obsessive for ages. And it's just because it's like so soapy, as you say. It's like really, really, you know, like basically I made my, my flatmates and everyone paired up with the wrong person. And it was actually like <laughs> the most tragic thing, like just watching like your own boyfriend make out with, um, your your other friend's boyfriend, and you're like, wow, this is, yeah. So... I, actually, the my the most tragic Sims thing on that vein, I've just been reminded of being traumatized by the screenshot of like like three different three or four different Kieran Gillans making out with each other. Oh, that's very traumatic. It's really horrible. And I, you know what? The, uh, you know on uh, Twitter, um, Ben Borthwick, he he constantly reposts it, and it makes it comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> on, a, on a better note I, I, we'd be remiss if we talked about The Sims and didn't talk a mention either if you haven't read Alice and Kev uh, you should that's mm. Roberki's um, Robin I can't remember his surname uh, he goes by Roberki who um, had this amazing story of creating two homeless um, Sims uh, you know a 
an intelligent and aspiring young girl and a just terrible, terrible father. Oh, I've seen that. Mm. I love that. That's my favorite thing about The Sims is just making stories up with the different characters. Like, I'm, I just use the houses that are already built. I don't borrow, bother with any of that stuff. And I kind of just put them in whatever clothes. But then I just like to concoct these elaborate stories about their motivations and how they're riling against their oppressive parents. So they're going to do a job that won't earn them any money hmm. out of kind of revenge. I think I play The Sims wrong because I get really <laughs> bogged down in making like a really nuclear family, <laughs> making sure they all perform really well, and then I get Aww. bored of it and quit. Yeah, yeah your families are boring. Yeah. yeah, you have no sense of the uh, perverse, like me and Jordan, obviously. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, um, I also um, sort of stumbled into a really cool thing that Tom Armitage, um, who's a, an indie developer, he recently. Um, did this little project where there's like an online tool in which you can um, input uh, a, a script into uh, like an actual like screenplay or something into this uh, essentially like it's like a kind of 3D it's like a kind of um, a rendering of the sims with like camera shots like a film like a film set and essentially, um, you can make The Sims say, like, repeat a script with, like, Microsoft Sam sort of voice. <laughs> and what this you sounds can do, amazing. It's really amazing. I can forget the name of it, but we can put it in the, the show links. And um, essentially, it's um, a completely amazing little thing where you can feed in lines of a whole script, say, and then you can figure out what it looks like in terms of camera shots and stuff. So it's like a kind of, I think it's probably initially visualized as a kind of very pragmatic tool for filmmakers. But what it really is, is like this amazing thing that's almost like, do you know what we could do? We could get like all of the scripts from Friends, the TV show Friends, and then feed it into this and see what happens. And then what he thought was, I could make a machine that made a random friend's script and then <laughs> feed it in. So basically, all of like that's what he did. So he made this machine that basically feeds in fucked up friend scripts with really not funny punchlines, <laughs> and then uh, and then makes all of these like people save his lines. So I was intending on writing an article about it because it's really funny. It was just really absurd and screwed up, and um, it was this little thing that he had going for ages. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting because basically what he's just done is like make a bot that spits out crappy friends <laughs> um, and then makes people say them. So, uh, yeah, so it's really fascinating. This is, this is amazing. This is like Peter Molyneux told us the movie was, was going to be. Yeah. And I, I find as well, like it's actually makes um, friends seem really existential and like nihilist and fucking <laughs> awful. Like it makes I it said the seem Garfield like without horrible... Garfield of friends. It really is. It's like a kind of really shitty Garfield. It's honestly like someone will just come into a room and say Chandler and then that'll be it. And he's just like, <laughs> oh my God. Um, but yeah, anyway, definitely check that out. We'll see. I'll see if I can send you some, some links about it. But cool. yeah, it's very yeah. good. But that's Tom Armitage. He's a very intelligent and funny man. So, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I was going to ask you, Tom, uh, what, in fact, you are looking forward to in 2014. Well, yeah, like, kind of just, like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, yeah, a larger companies play around with the ideas of indie games from the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. like, um, we're seeing, we're going to see things like 
um, EverQuest Next obviously being inspired by Minecraft. We're going to see things like The Division obviously being inspired by DayZ and... Uh, Are you really looking forward to The Division? I don't know. Um, Again, it seems a bit like Watch Dogs and that it made a big splash and then nothing. Mm -hmm. And that, that worries me. I, I I just worry that like basically it's just going to be like oh gray gray color shoot mans and you know like I, I I want them to be good every time they come out and then I'm never surprised by them and I I really want to be. Yeah. But I I like the idea of people playing around with this sort of small server idea that Daisy did that you don't have to be an you don't have to be an MMO but you can have like sixty to hundred people on something mm-hmm. um and in an open world and that's. That could go interesting places, but we'll see. Um, Am I right in thinking that people can take sides in that game? So there are like opposing factions that you can join with, or is that complete rubbish I've just made up in my head? I'm not sure. Uh, okay. Um, there hasn't been that much information on it, has there? No. And there's I nothing playable the, yet. The lead designer, I think, was saying in an interview that he didn't want to release a lot of information about it. Like as little as possible, basically, because he wants people to discover it, which I think is really cool and a nice shift. But I don't know how much Ubisoft are going to let him actually do that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Let's. Uh. I guess talk a little bit about Alien Isolation because. Um. I guess we we all sort of wanted to talk a bit about it. Um. So I went to see it just before Christmas and um, was really impressed by the demo that they showed. Um. But I do have a few reservations. But um. Essentially, it's uh, a game based on the 1979 film Alien, uh, directed by Ridley Scott. And it's um, a survival horror game, um, an exploration game in first person. And it's essentially um, a kind of spiritual sequel starring Amanda Ripley, um, Ripley's daughter. Um, And it's basically, uh, it's all about one alien. You're stuck in a space station. You have to negotiate the space station without... Um, being seen by the monster um, because if you are it's lethal Um, so yeah so that's basically what I I played of it and um, the whole thing is based around being fucking terrified all the time so I was wondering what your your impressions of the trailer were firstly Um, Craig I guess could could I ask a question Yes. about Alien is it linear or do you have the ship and things to do on the ship so the demo that they showed us, it seems like it was um, fairly linear, but then demos always are, if you see what I mean. Um, mm. There seemed like there was only one exit, basically, and you have like a little thing on your motion tracker, which will tell you which way to go towards that direction. Um, mm-hmm. So, But you can pick up like tools and resources on your way. Um, you can just, you know, obviously you can discover lots of different like extra things in the environments that you're in which is like in the environments are like completely beautiful like i've never seen anything quite like that environment like it's definitely next gen mm. stuff but yes um yeah from what i heard they it seemed like they they had a fairly small chunk they, they were they were telling people that it was going to be you know broader and more open but obviously they've only got a small bit they could show at the moment um, mm-hmm. yeah. The thing is, though, a lot of times when people say that, it is literally a lie. <laughs> yes. No, but I, I find it very difficult to believe that you could make um, something legitimately claustrophobic and scary without making it linear. Do you see what I mean? Um, I, I think that that's actually a problem that you would face. I mean, I to a certain extent, I feel like Amnesia, it, it, you know, Amnesia was pretty linear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it didn't. 
I mean, lots of the problem that they really have are twofold. The first problem is um, like amnesia. No one finished amnesia because it was terrifying. <laughs> That's the problem that they found. Like I was in, interviewing Dan Pinchbeck, who who made the sequel to Amnesia: Dark Descent, and um, he was saying that the problem they face when making the sequel is that no one finished that game. And they wanted everyone to finish it because they were interested in telling the story. And I think that's, that's what you're interested in with Alien. That's actually. really interesting because I remember asking them in an interview if they ever cut anything because they thought it was too scary and nobody would get past it. They'd basically give up. And they said, no, we'd never do that. Yeah. And that's interesting because, um, you know, there was such a cult following with um, Dark Descent um, because of the jump scares, because of how good it was to watch on YouTube. Um, there's definitely like that value there, but people who bought actually bought the game, um, very few of them actually finished it because they, you know, they know because of metrics. So it's yeah, it's definitely interesting. That's really difficult though, because then what in effect you're going to have to do is tone it down, and then if you tone it down, mm-hmm. it's going to be less effective. Well, that's I mean that's between the two developers. That's kind of a contrast of styles, isn't it? Because you were talking about interviewing frictional, weren't you, Craig? Yes. Yeah. Whereas. I haven't played uh, Machine for Pigs, but I think we were talking about it beforehand, and you guys said that it was aiming for a more sort of constant low-level creepiness than jump scares. Yes, deeply unsettling rather than being jump scare orientated, which I think actually, um, whilst you're playing the game, it, it has less of an impact. But after you've finished playing the game, you feel like you have nightmares about it, essentially. Mm. Um, but yeah, the other problem with Alien Isolation is that you don't know what the pacing's like. So um, I think pacing, particularly this type of game, is really, really important. Like System Shock 2 is very good at this because of a certain algorithm, but essentially um, I feel like a lot of people were saying the length of the game is going to be really important. So um, you, can't, you can't make people feel like they're going to shit their pants for six hours. You know, like yeah, they've it, said they want 8 to 12 as well, and that's yes. more than anything, I think that's the thing that worries me is like they're, how are they going to sustain it over that and if they aren't going to make it that all constant pan-shitting terror, what they're going to fill the rest of it with. Yes, and and then I, I asked the level designers, like, I was like, what are you going to do for this? And basically they said that there's going to be quite a lot of puzzle solving in terms of um, under duress puzzle, puzzle solving, which sounds to me a lot like um, early early years uh, Resident Evil, mm-hmm. um, which is you know was always cool. Uh, I thought that the Resident Evil de- de- developers were really, really good at, at creating a sense of tension over time. Um, but part, part of me is worried because, you know, I think that film, like films are very good at pacing because they get to sit in the net, like editors get to sit in an editing room and say what's important, what's not important, what will make the audience feel relaxed now, what will make them feel, um, on edge. And what happens is that there's a kind of peak and trough with the tension and that's going to be the biggest problem with this game is you need peak and trough to make people feel the difference between feeling threatened and not feeling threatened. And it's well, going to be think, really hard. I don't, I don't know how much that is an issue because people can make scary games quite effectively. Uh, but then, you know, at the same time, people do spectacularly fuck them up like with Dead Space. Um, but I think Alien has a big problem in that everybody is very familiar with Alien as a concept. And a big thing of horror is that once you know the monster, it's not scary anymore. Yeah, one of the feedbacks, uh, the piece of feedback that I gave them was that during the demo, um, if you if you are not very good at the game like me, 
or initially, well, it's not that you're not good at the game. It's essentially that working out how sensitive the alien is to your movements is initially very difficult mm. uh, because you don't exactly know how it works. And so even the devs telling you, um, hey, um, you know, uh, you should go, you should walk slowly because otherwise it can see you. You don't know how slow they mean. Um, and so you end up like walking at a snail's pace across the floor because you're terrified. But like in, in the initial stages, I was I was going a kind of walking pace, not like a running pace like I normally would, but like a walking pace. And that was still getting me noticed. So it's difficult to work out sort of, you know, like that, like how, how fast you can go. And so I was dying lots because the alien can see you if you make a certain amount of movement. And what that does is it makes you see the alien every time you die. And, um, and that definitely lessens the fear. But every death doesn't necessarily have to make you see the alien, if, I, if you see what I mean. Sometimes the screen just goes black. Or sometimes you know you've been hit by it. And you know you're dead, but you don't see it in front of you. But sometimes you do. And my only piece of feedback to them was you need to make the amount of times that you see the alien less by far because it really does lessen the impact of your death. Um, it's still scary and you still don't want it to happen, but it does lessen the impact. So if you getting killed and they're just being a black screen, if that's the fail condition, is that actually scary, though? Um, it it is it is scary um, because because of the atmosphere that they've set up it, it is still scary um, I find um, but it's yeah it's difficult to um, explain because it's very aesthetic based mm. because well, fear what, what comes I'm... from your own imagination right so it's better to leave it black and let you work out okay. what you're afraid of yourself than to yeah, be like this is it. the thing that you're afraid of we're going to show you again the monster that you're afraid of just to remind so, you yeah, I think what I'm getting at is in Amnesia, at least with the Dark Descent, um, you barely ever die. Like, there's a lot of things that trigger and make you very scared and make you run away, but I think it holds back a lot on actually killing you. And I think that's because every time, like, if you die to something, then you can expect that behavior. But if you get away, then it's always going to be a new thing. Like, because often, like, you're running away into a, a new environment. Yeah, we talked about this a bit on the horror progress, I think, the idea that almost dying or being made vulnerable and is in a way a, a lot scarier than actually being killed. Mm. But um, evidence shows that video games uh, feel more rewarding if there is actually more death in them. Mm, which I know it sounds horrible, but that's um, yeah. that apparently um, one of the payoffs when you're playing, for example, Super Mario Brothers is essentially the idea that you might like lose via death. Um, and apparently there's a huge adrenaline kick when you die. Um, so that's really interesting in terms of um, video games because that obviously means that games are more rewarding if you feel like um, there's a kind of a momentary relief, well, a let up of the pressure that you feel on yourself when you die. Um, mm. You get actually get a bit of a kick from it because it's it's cut off that fight or flight kind of reaction in you. So um, that's interesting, I think. Definitely. Yeah, but, I, I found what you were saying about peaks and troughs in, interesting as well because that seems <clears throat> like what Valve were trying to do with Left 4 Dead. Um, and yeah. with Half Life, like I see so much of it in Half Life. Half Life in the level design, it is, it's definitely there where they they you know they'll play with you for a while, they'll toy with you, and then they'll all of a sudden ram some fear down your throat, and then that it feels more intense because you weren't expecting it. Whereas Creative Assembly seem to be going much more simmy with the alien and then trying to 
it's just trying to experiment with its AI and the idea that it will hunt you down of its own accord without them knowing when it will happen. But I don't think that I don't think that's representative of the whole of the game because essentially, um, like when the alien is in the, in the room with you, you know, um, because you've got a motion tracker and it's on your mm. it's on your motion tracker. But it doesn't necessarily. Sometimes your motion tracker could probably pick up something that isn't alien, or um, there's um, a sense that maybe you'd be in a part of the space station that doesn't have the alien around, but you you're constantly on edge because you you think it might be there. Um, so they still have the ability to control pacing. It just depends on how much how much they do that. Um, so I, I I think that there's a lot to play for in terms of pacing in that game. And I I from what I've seen. I'm really heartened by it because it's beautiful and I think mm. the alien AI is really sophisticated and the alien itself is massively scary. And when you see it, you're scared. Um, mm. But again, like there's still room for it to go wrong. So, Well, I think even if there is a lot of room for it to go wrong, it's still fantastic and amazing that a big company like Sega and Creative Assembly are putting together like a very quiet, almost traditional stealth game with a lot of money behind it. Yeah, no, it's, and that doesn't happen nearly enough. Whatever happens, I feel like it's going to be a really interesting game, and the, you know, it's already far more interesting to talk about its possible successes and failures than so many other games. Yeah, I'm absolutely. hoping it pulls it off because it sounds like what they've done is listen to the feedback from the other Alien game and stuff, and just decided to actually listen to what people want. Mm-hmm. And if it goes wrong, then that might be the companies saying, "Well, maybe we shouldn't listen to what people want." They obviously don't know what they're talking about. So I hope it goes right, even though I don't have much of an interest in it myself, just because it would be beneficial for all of us if some big companies started paying attention to people and it started paying off. I, I totally, yeah, I agree. Um, and they've really like set up a store for this is how a different, they've called it Alien, they've put this emphasis on the single alien, and they've even, and obviously with by using Ripley's daughter as the protagonist as well, they've kind of said, we want to do everything the film did, including having... Um, including having a female protagonist, which is another reason I really hope it does well. Yeah. Because if a game with if a prominent game with a female protagonist fails, a bunch of marketing people will use that as an excuse to never do it again. See, this is why I have pre-ordered Assassin's Creed Liberation HD, even though I've already got it on my Vita, because I just want to support. I don't want anyone to be like, well, you didn't buy it, so obviously games with female leads just don't sell. I might actually buy Alien, even though I have no interest in playing a game that's going to make me want to poo myself. Just yeah. to have it on my shelf. <laughs> me too, because like when I, it's funny because the like uh, Keith sent me there, and I hardly even knew what I was getting myself into, and they put me in a dark room with a game that was based on Alien, and I was like, I would not have said yes if I could. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would not have said yes. But there, here I am, <laughs> playing this horrific game, and um, and yeah, the developer was looking over my shoulder. He was like, you know, you know, you should be going slow, right? I'm like, I know, I'm really, I'm really scared. <laughs> Leave me alone! I'm really, I'm really scared right now. Did it make you scream? It didn't. Um, but I was one of the last people to finish it <laughs> yeah. because I shut myself in a locker for a really long time. <laughs> I used to do that in real life. I did that in amnesia. I shut myself in a cupboard with a with a broom <laughs> for ages, and then my light my light ran out, and I went insane. <laughs> so whoops. Um, but yes. Um, yeah, no, I really enjoyed my time with it. In fact, it's actually persuaded me that I should probably buy it when it comes out, um, even even just to see if they've actually executed it like I think they should. Um, so, yeah. And also, like in my preview, I seem to have made the hand dryers at Creative Assembly somewhat famous. 
<laughs> because Ollie, the one of the producers there, said we're in the office we're thinking about framing that hand dryer that you talked about. I was like, oh God. Because um, you always feel a bit guilty, you know, when you're a journalist and you feel a bit guilty when you've made a developer happy because that's not necessarily your job. Your job is to be really critical and harsh and just knock them down and make them feel bad about themselves and rub their nose in the carpet. You know what I mean? Um, and then they were really happy about the preview I wrote. So I felt really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's the silly, I can't remember who came up with it, a definition of journalism that it has to annoy, that someone has to not want you to say it, which I don't think is, is true at all. Well, it's Hunter S. Thompson, isn't it? It's Lester Bangs. It's always like, you know, be hostile towards whoever you're covering. But I don't think that's true. I remember uh, there was, yeah, because this, this was going around a while back, people were talking about um, the quote. I think it was, people were attributing it to George Orwell, the uh, journalism is something um, someone doesn't want you to hear. And I looked it up and it turns out it's actually from William Randolph Hearst, uh, oh. <laughs> which changes the tone of it quite a lot, doesn't it? But yeah, I mean, I was reading about Lester Bangs the other day and he was just a prick to everyone. Like, and I'm just like, I'm not interested in being a prick to everyone because actually it's like um, hostility, you know, like, a, you know, when you're um, interrogating someone. I don't feel like hostility actually pressures people into saying something they wouldn't. Otherwise, I think it makes them more guarded. I'd rather gain someone's trust and then report something that they were comfortable telling me uh, because I'd be in a trustworthy and interesting interviewer rather than properly interrogate someone into getting worried about their own piece of work. It's like we work in video games. Like they're not, you know, no one's going to be killed by video games uh, uh, unless unless Daily Mail, but still. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's, there's plenty of stuff that, you know, we want to write about, you, readers want to hear and developers want people to hear about and there's nothing wrong with... Uh, Should we it, um, dodge doing the Not A Games Journalism podcast? No, yeah, I was going to wind it up at that point, actually. <laughs> um, I want to ask um, questions now. So um, I feel like we've probably slightly um, excluded you, Jordan. I feel really bad. So I'm going to ask you uh, first. Oh, great. Um, got... <laughs> I feel... So we, um, so yeah, so there's an email, is that right, Tom, um, saying, um, oh, we, yeah. had, we had a discussion in the office uh, where one of the directors had the idea that he reckoned journalists would much prefer a greatest hits build of a game rather than the vanilla game. I personally reckon this wasn't so great an idea because it's not what the customer is getting and thus not what the reviewer would want to see. So we didn't see eye to eye, but I said, you know what, I'll ask some journalists when I get the chance they can give an informed opinion. So here we are. Would you want a greatest hits version? The vanilla version, both perhaps thoughts, regards Aaron. So I guess Aaron has sent us that email. I don't entirely know what he means, to be honest. I think maybe to make our job easier, just like pick out the most interesting or most pertinent parts of a game, like the greatest hits. So like take right. out all the rubbish that we don't need to. So like Bioshock Infinite, once you've played one fight, you've really played them all in that game. So like if we could play Bioshock Infinite only doing a couple of the fights instead of all of them, we'd still get an idea of what the game was like, but it would be quicker. I think they usually call it a vertical slice, don't they? Yeah, oh, I, I, tend to, I feel like we've already got that, which is indeed the vertical slice, which which developers do send me a lot, like um, particularly indie developers. But actually, I feel like when indies send me them, it's actually slightly more honest than when a publisher might send me one because I get really cynical about those. Well, I mean, but, that, yeah. that, that alien thing was essentially just like a small encapsulation of what the game's about. Yes. Mm-hmm. So but I mean, I is this know. for reviews or for previews or? Yeah, well, that's all the text we've got. So I think. Okay. <laughs> but... 
I feel like it's um, there's such a massive misunderstanding, I think, from from consumers about what games journalism actually is. And I think that we could definitely, as journalists, do a better job of conveying the fact that like a preview is in 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 that sense. That's what that is. A preview is a vertical slice of what they want you to experience from their game. A review is essentially what the actual thing you're buying is. Um, and I think that we should probably do a better job of conveying that fact because everyone thinks that stuff is a review these days. People say, like, people have been congratulating me on my aliens isolation, my alien isolation review for ages now. And I'm like, listen, if that was a review, that would be a fucking stonker of a, a review. But <laughs> it's not a review. Please don't take it that way, you know? So... Yeah, uh, um, yeah, that's a strange one. And obviously, yeah, both like you said, both of them have their places. One as a preview, one as an actual review. But I, I, this is an interesting. What what I find interesting is if this is coming from a developer, is the question of if you think there is a version of your game with only the good stuff in it, why is that not the version you're selling? Yeah, I yes, agree. It's absolutely. Um, if you feel like you can cut out something, like I, I spent time as an editor, a literary editor, um, a few years ago, and essentially when you look at a novel and you start saying to the author, well, you, you don't need this section, like it's, you're basically talking about cutting it because it's boring, and you want to try to persuade the author that that's exactly what you should do to make it a good book, and it's not always easy. And I guess when you spent like three or four years making a blockbuster video game, you don't want to cut out all those years of work, you know. And, but I mean, I think the audience contributes to this as well. There's there's often a, a, a perception in the way people talk about games that more is always better. Like the there was a whole blow up recently about Titanfall. Um, having, oh, with the six v six. Yeah, um, which uh, I know Matt Lee's was very disparaging about uh, the um, the idea that more pl- that more players would automatically be better. Mm-hmm. Mm. Also, I don't think you could possibly do a review on a greatest hits build oh, no, because no, what if one of the bits of cuts is really racist? <laughs> exactly, or like massively <laughs> sexist, or like, or the story is rubbish, has a rubbish ending, or something is ruined in the story. Like, how could you tell? You wouldn't be able to. Also, I think it's worth noting uh, this. While well, saying that, this might just be personal to me, but like, I wouldn't. I really enjoy playing as much as I moan about them. I actually really enjoy playing video games. So, like, if it's, I think it, you know, it can ruin them a lot to just get this cut version. I want to play the thing. I don't want to. I don't want this special treatment. I suppose. Uh, and for the be- you know, for the game to really to be the greatest, that's what it should be. Like Tom said. Um, I've got a question here from Rory Porteous, which says, why did you hit me in the head with an axe, Craig? <laughs> uh, I've apologised for this several times. He <laughs> uh, had it coming, and that's all we should say about that. This is from Daisy, isn't it? Yeah, we had an incident with a, a zombie in a house, and we both sort of went for it, and I accidentally <laughs> hit it with an axe. <laughs> I feel like you're an awful person, Craig. That's that, was, that one was accident. um another question um obligatory eurostart question from david turner um he asks um what we're looking forward to um and in the list of things he asks us if we're looking forward to um he asks about bidoof if we're looking forward to a bidoof this year yeah Um, we may have decreed this year the year of bidoof uh i see when i was away did you (laughs) drive my car around then crash it is that what's happened here (laughs) um 
I can't remember if someone else has picked up on that as well. I'm sure someone else was declaring it. It might have been, it might have been One Life Left also declaring it the year of Bidoof. It's the year of Bidoof. Um, Jordan, do you know what the hell Bidoof is? <laughs> it's, a, it's a Pokemon, right? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, God. I was so worried about losing my nerd cred. My brothers and sisters would have murdered me if I had gotten that wrong. <laughs> I don't actually know anything about Bidoof beyond its Pokemon. I know what it looks like because there's a Bidoof bot on Twitter that keeps tweeting up podcasts. Oh, is it like one of the ones you find really, really regularly at the beginning of like Pearl and Diamond? Like it looks kind of like a rat, maybe? I'm not sure. I just know it's a really funny name. I mean, it's a fantastically onomatopoeic uh, name, isn't it? It's definitely got a kind of a bit of a ring to it. it it's a like Pokemon a that falls over a lot, presumably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Ben Hall asks us, what's the most annoying lead or cable in video games? Uh, which is actually quite a good question, to be honest. Um, what do you mean by lead or cable? Yeah. <laughs> Within the game itself. And I feel what? like he's probably referring to, you know, like things that charge your controllers, that sort of, you know, mm. you know, I feel I feel like the PlayStation 3 controller cables are too short. That's oh, my, yeah, that, yeah. That's, yeah. that's really my feeling. Um, I, I actually think that they are total balls. Um, the best lead or cable in the game is the one for the phone in the Stanley Parable. I was just about to say <laughs> the exact same thing. <laughs> Which you'll understand <laughs> if you find that bit of a Stanley Parable. Yes, I did. Um, so everyone, go and play the Stanley Parable and <laughs> find the phone cable. Um, that game is like Fight Club. Like no one, <laughs> no one is allowed to talk about what happens in that game. You just keep telling everyone to play it. Um, right. We, what, have, what else have we got? We've got um, we've got Steve Stephen Fulton. Uh, asking us, what are your thoughts on Steambox things? And are they relevant to anyone already playing games on PC? They're interesting, I think, in that no one seems to know what to do with them, especially, and sorry to make this another games journalism question, right? <laughs> especially in the way people write about them. Like, I feel like I'm seeing a lot of traditionally console places write about them as if they're consoles and not really getting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, has RPS done anything on them? I feel like maybe they, they should, but I don't know if they have i haven't been paying attention because i've been writing more than i've been reading about games journalism which i know is a massive mistake but uh, <laughs> my job <laughs> but i don't know they, not, i feel like i'm not really sure who's gonna buy one it's the same thing with on live like who is it for yeah like, are we confident enough in steam in valve to assume that they know what they're doing and that like apple they're going to introduce this new product that everyone thinks is completely pointless and then it's gonna take over the world thing is i would I, it depends what also it's kind of depends what you mean i I don't think I haven't had a proper look at the boxes they're showing off, but I probably won't buy one of them. I would build like a small computer, put Steam OS on it, and then attach it to my TV if this in-house streaming thing works. That's the really cool thing, as far as I'm concerned, is the idea that I could then play anything that's on my regular computer on my TV. Like I would definitely run Steam OS as a dual boot thing. There's no question in that, right? But um, with the actual Steam box, like. If it's there as a box to take like the complicated bits out of PC gaming so you can just buy one and it works, then there shouldn't be 14 versions of it because mm. then you have to start comparing all the specs and then to do that, you need to know about all the things. And then at that point, why not just buy one for cheaper? Yeah, it seems like it's trying to do a lot of things. Like I said, the bit that interests me is the sort of media center PC thing, uh, especially because we've got like, uh, you know, I live with 
two other games journalists. So we've got like three high power PCs in this house, all with different games on them. So if we could attach, if it's if it's in house streaming thing works, if we could attach a small PC to our living room TV, and then whenever we felt like playing a game that's best suited with the controller or something like say Brothers, then I could just play. It, I could just stream it to my TV. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, I wonder who they, exactly they're they're aiming at. Um, but the controller looks fun. Have you seen it? Yeah, I'm really actually genuinely excited about the controller. Like, it's something that I'd really like to have. Yeah, because... The thing that Pip said looked like an owl. <laughs> yeah. It does actually look a bit like an owl. <laughs> okay. yeah. um, but it's got basically two sort of trackpads on it where your thumbs go. Um, so there's no sticks. It's just trackpads. And it's kind of like, I guess, like a kind of almost roller rollerball mouse type thing. But basically, it's very it gives haptic feedback as well, which actually is a super interesting idea. Um, of like actually being able to give you feedback on what you're doing in the game via your thumbs rather than uh, rumble rumble or whatever which we're used to so that's kind of cool um so yeah like i maybe i i'd be interested to have a go on the controller frankly sorry we just got i just got a message from pip saying i just made dota biscuits i might <laughs> i think i might have become a parody of myself oh. <laughs> I a biscuit I... I would love to eat those, actually. Is she making them for her birthday tomorrow? Because if so, I'm super psyched. Oh, happy birthday, Pip, by the way, we should say. I would have yes, said this. happy birthday. She happy birthday. birthday. I would have said this to her on the last podcast, but I don't think she told me when her birthday was going to be until the day after. Oh, uh, bless her. But yeah, um, so yeah, happy birthday, Pip. That's mm. kind of cool. Where is she now? Is she? Did she say, did she give excuses to why she didn't come to school? <laughs> Making well, dota biscuits. Yeah, I, Making think, dota yeah biscuits. I guess so. <laughs> Well, that is definitely on her permission slip now. <laughs> I've signed off on that. Dota biscuit. It's yeah. be some kind of Dota biscuit pun somewhere. <laughs> well, it, I got a panicked message from Ben Hall saying, also, why isn't Pip asking us for, for the questions? Is something wrong? <laughs> he's the it's because she's making Dota biscuits, apparently. Yeah, he's, he's worried for her safety. Yeah. She, he, this guy, you know, bless him, has been inquiring about her whereabouts. Um, She's taking I mean, the week off to have a really, to have a lot of parties about her birthday. <laughs> um, I've got a very serious question um, from uh, Chris Evans. It's not really a question. He said it's more of a statement. But he said, uh, "Euro Truck Sim Two versus I Racing or an equivalent." That's a statement, not a question. But you get the idea. Um, so I, I don't know either of these two games. So. Very much a great question. Um, I can. I um I'm best positioned to answer that and also can't. It's impossible. <laughs> trying to get at is is the thing we talked about when we had Adam Smith on the uh, podcast, which is the idea of driving games versus racing games. Mm. What like competitively, which one is better or what? Well, I don't know. Just about the distinction between the two, the the, the difference between trying to race something and just enjoying well, having a drive. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I like me and you were looking thing. for a driving game, and we couldn't find one, could we? Like a co-op, yeah, there's, there's, co-driving thing. It just doesn't thing. exist. That's that's why yeah. people are playing Euro Truck Simulator, basically. Yeah. Even though, uh, even though I mean, what I'd what I'd love to have would be just like a American road trip simulator, just to drive through some cool landscapes and i guess fuel does that kind of even though it's a racing game it's also a driving game yeah doesn't desert but... bus do that <laughs> oh my god desert bus the best uh, um but i i played quite a lot of euro truck sim 2 but i sort of play it as it's just nice and relaxing and you just truck it uh, on for an hour and drive about you see like 
some nice you go over a train bridge and there'll be a train going over and then it might start raining then you pull over and have a nap and then you carry on driving that's really nice and then i race in this super <laughs> fucking intense and it's brilliant it's just one of those games that you can't tell people in your everyday life about <laughs> um well i remember when i started playing it and then my wife came home and then i explained to her what i was playing and then she asked me what the fuck she was doing no what the fuck well yeah actually she said what the fuck is she doing um so yeah there you go i feel like a lot like they they should have definitely like you should be able to have like pit stops to buy like magic trees you know those air fresheners uh, you, you can <laughs> fit them to your seriously your truck simulator is beyond parody that's the thing <laughs> that's completely amazing i actually am pretty psyched about it now i mean like adam wrote this beautiful thing on rps about it and i was like i really want to play that game and then steve hogarty did just a really nice driving video of him just driving in a truck <laughs> it's an incredible game. can you play it with a steering wheel yeah i set my whole steering wheel gears and pedals and track oh, like horrible and play it it's brilliant you should send us a photo of your desktop actually because <laughs> i just want to see your crazy driving setup i can do i think actually ed sent a question about this so i'll talk about this in a second when that question comes yeah. up but yeah um, I, I think it would be quite interesting to see if more people realize that uh, that euro truck is popular and capitalize on not necessarily that and hopefully realize that it's not necessarily a truck simulator part it's just that people like driving around without having to win a race yeah I uh, I feel like the the games that have no fail state are becoming more prominent this year and have but been like last year like the idea that there's no way that you can actually lose the game is actually kind of very relaxing for people. Um so that's kind of cool the idea that you know we might be getting more games that are less of a challenge and more of an experience is kind of cool. Um but yeah, I feel like that that game um definitely sort of is one of those symbols. Um but yeah, uh, we've also got a very important question from Edward Fenning. Um, when a player base masters a game's mechanics, how often do you find it ruins the game or adds a new level, say in, in Daisy or Quake or something? Um, have you found that it makes much of a difference? So is this like when all the players start playing a new game and then they get good at it? and then I feel like he's asking a question specifically about metagame. Um, like whether the metagame actually changes um, the way that the game is played, which I feel like, yeah, it does definitely. Yeah, I, I do find it puts me off when I feel that then when there's that amount of mastery and that amount of expected, like you know, required reading for a game. Um, that really does put me off. That said, I started playing CS:GO recently, having been terrified of Counter Strike my entire life because I've assumed everyone out is incredible and going to kill me any second. And it's been okay, as it turns out. I, I, it maybe just because of the way that game is is put together, there's, uh, you know, the, 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 there's a little bit more. It's so quick and so sudden that I can still accidentally walk, or, you know, uh, accidentally catch someone in underwears and kill them, even if they're much, much better than me. I find, yeah, Counter Strike's a good one for that because it's one where I think it it's got a nice curve to it, where you can get and people do get very, very good at it and do start exploiting the tiniest things with it, which is when I think it gets to that the new level that Ed is talking about, and you also, but. Um, like I think Counter-Strike is very good at handling that, but then Quake is not. And uh, I think people, there's no curve to it. People are either playing Quake as a very average person that runs around and shoots people and misses with a rocket launcher, or you're super twitchy, bouncing off walls and, and bunny hopping everywhere. And I find like Quake really intimidating 
there's like Team Fortress 2, I think, which tends to be very compressed, as in there's, there's not, a, at least if you're playing the full version with like all the classes and all the crazy items, there's not a huge amount you can distinguish yourself. Um, sorry, Carol. I was talking to, um, I was talking to Tom, Tom Bramwell about Hearthstone today, and it was really interesting because he's obsessed with Hearthstone and he's really good at it. He says he gets up in the morning and before he goes to work, <laughs> he plays Hearthstone, and then when he gets to work, he plays Hearthstone. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, well what's, what's interesting about it? He was saying the meta game is really interesting because they, they do very small balances. Um, because as the players got, got more interested in doing the ranked matches, they have to do tweaks because people will just they'll do a thing that like basically freezes all players um minions abilities and they'll just do that over and over again in this one card and it actually makes the game not fun so they've started to tweak that and um, to make the game more fun rather than more balanced which is really interesting as a decision so they yeah and the to... nice thing about obviously in-person card games is unless you're actually going to a proper tournament if someone does that to you you can just say stop being a fucking twat yeah no, that doesn't um... work tom because listen <laughs> i had the same metagame thing happen i used to be super into magic the gathering in college and we used to do the same thing in that somebody would build a deck and then next week you would turn up with a deck that you have built that perfectly counters their thing <laughs> so this like this whole meta game exists of like just decks evolving just to out dick each other and it doesn't matter what you tell them they'll just laugh in your face because it's funny yeah, but I, I can. That's I, I, that. I think is kind of cool in a small group. It's when that when that encompasses the entire world that it becomes more <laughs> for me. When it's... we used to do that when I was growing up, my brothers and sisters, like I'd have control over all of the Pokemon cards, so I would decide what types of Pokemon I got to have and what types my brothers and sisters got to have. So I'd be like, look, this is the grass deck that I've made especially for you. Um, this is mine. Yeah, it's fire. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, You're the time. evil older sister. <laughs> well, I was the oldest. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the idea of specifically count, uh, you specifically building a deck to count someone is cool. The idea of you looking it up on the internet and then bringing it in is less cool. Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's my thought. Yeah. Anyway, um, I guess that's everything that um, I've got for the questions. So um, uh, I guess we should finish up. But uh, thank you very much to Jordan and um, super good to talk to you again, Tom and Craig. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.